they're doing an autopsy on that situation and trying to figure out what went wrong. What can we not do next time? So from a technology standpoint, it is putting measures in place that allow them to proactively stay ahead of it. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Brad Notris, Chairman and CEO of Urban Grow. Brad, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Uh, doing great, thanks. Excited to talk to Brad. Excited to learn about, you know, technology in the agricultural space, you know, especially as it pertains to cannabis. We were chatting earlier on the show, and, you know, Brad is in Colorado as well. So I just was assuming that his loyalties lie on the West Coast, but I think he might be in a different place. Yeah, well, first of all, I would say I'm North Coast because I'm an American Canadian, so dual citizen, but then I'd say East Coast because that's where our business is the strongest right now. I love it. Let the record How reflect. Are you doing, Brian? <laughs> no, I'm excited. I think <laughs> I will work the back. I think ag tech is is really exciting. Something that's near and dear to both of our hearts and specifically CEA. And I'm excited to kind of get Brad's perspective on it, where cannabis today can benefit from it and kind of where the diversification efforts of Urban Grow has gone. So Brad, before we kind of dive in for our listeners, can you give a little background about yourself and kind of the beginnings of Urban Grow? Yeah, sure. You bet. Uh, well, as I started with American Canadian, I've uh, been in the US for 27 years now. I started Urban Grow with a business partner about a decade ago, almost a 10 year relationship. So we're into the industry early for sure. Prior to Urban Grow, we had a lighting company we had started together. So we were retrofitting convention centers, healthcare facilities, small cities with more energy efficient LED lighting. And that carried over right into the cannabis space, which in Colorado was just starting to grow in our backyard. And uh, hence, we, uh, we formed Urban Grow. Uh, early stage Urban Grow really evaluated reseller, predominantly focused on the lighting industry. Uh, we had partnered with some large brands out of uh, Europe, and we would, uh, the value add was our expertise in culture that we had on the team, and we would take those lighting solutions into the to the industry. Back, back in the day when there was only about three options, uh, which has changed, we, uh, we grew by adding the services that our clients wanted and desired, and we evolved into designing the cultivation uh, and integrating in airflow, benching systems, lighting, and environmental controls into uh, into the solutions. It all started for us, really. Uh, it all took off in, in 2021. In February, we listed on the NASDAQ right at the height of the cannabis industry. We raised $62.1 million at the time and set out with the vision of being a leading turnkey design build provider in the cannabis space. We also, at the time where we're gonna diversify, we are focused on diversifying into vertical farming as well. So when I say controlled environment ag or CEA, it's really crop agnostic. You know, it's cannabis, leafy greens, berries. We, we all put that uh, in, in one category as, as CEA. And uh, we set off uh, on that journey. And I look forward to talking about that, that journey today. It included, uh, Variety of acquisitions, building up the team, and uh, and and really diving deeper into into the space, both in the U.S. and uh, also in Europe. So I can only imagine going from a lighting reseller to a high-end turnkey solution. There's a bunch of evolutions along the way. Uh, looking back on it now, was there single steps that you took, kind of saying, "Okay, this is clear now how we ended up here," or was it kind of surprising, saying, "I never expected us to end up as a full turnkey solution"? Because that is a ton of assets, a ton of a ton of personnel, a ton of really skilled expertise all under one single umbrella. No, it definitely is. And it's really that expertise. So we have 100, over 140 employees today, architects, interior designers, all different types of engineers, horticulturists, and construction management personnel as well. And it's really the, the strength and knowledge of those individuals. So we had the horticulturists on our team early, so that was great. They had the knowledge and the know-how of of working in hundreds of facilities. So they brought that, that value add to our clients. And then by adding these other experts in their individual areas, 
that's what brought the credibility and know-how to our clients and really built the, the respect in Urban Grow. We earned that respect by bringing solutions to them. So when we set out with these acquisitions, that was the plan, right? We've really executed on that plan by making those acquisitions of architect, engineering, and construction firms. But what we didn't know at the time was how we would eventually diversify outside of CEA. That was that was a pivot that we made as a senior management team and a pivot that was, was in retrospect, uh, had to do it. Thank goodness we did. So before we get into that pivot, I just have a couple more questions in terms of like, so you're selling lighting and then all of a sudden now the, the company kind of naturally morphs into uh, taking other environmental conditions and feeding those to the operators so they can do a better job. Can you talk us through like how this hardware is providing value and how you guys help communicate those values from these sensors to create a, a controlled environment that's kind of like all synchronous and working together, right? You know, about three, four years ago, we invested heavily in ag tech. Uh, we invested in a company with with some very smart PhDs, software scientists uh, as well. And we were building out a sensor platform that would, you know, every minute gather information on temperature, airflow, humidity within that facility. And really it was an insurance policy for the cultivators. If something was going wrong in a specific area, maybe there was a clogged or blocked emitter, our sensors would be sending that data back and all of the algorithms that were built around it would alert the grower to a potential issue so they could stop that issue in its tracks before it became a large outbreak of a powdery mildew or, or something else in the, in the space. But we were a little bit ahead of ourselves, uh, for sure. You know, it was a lot of money to invest at the time, but the market wasn't ready. It, it's one thing to get that data over to the the growers, but it's also another to make sure you have the right individuals who are ready to act on uh, on that data. There was one MSO who eventually put in data scientists, but we were just we were out too early uh, at the yeah. time, and so we uh, we've been able to repurpose some of that uh, the UI, for example. We have a, a incredible project management portal, both vendor facing and client facing, so that helps from a service level standpoint and allows us to uh, to complete projects according to our schedules that we put forth, for sure. But but we're just a little bit uh, ahead of ourselves. So today, still in this industry, it's, gave, it's gathering the data. It's also coming from the environmental control systems as well. And then humans acting on the data. The future of, uh, of CEA, both cannabis or other crops as well, is going to be the data being fed in to a system that then acts and then the AI makes a decision based upon that data. So although in the in the overall CEA space, just due to a variety of reasons over the last couple of years, that evolution, I would say, has has paused or been stunted, the growth has been stunted. But you watch, you know, in the years and uh, and decade plus ahead. It's, it's going to be autonomous. It's, it's pretty exciting times. But right now, everyone's just focused on, in the cannabis space, growing as efficiently as they can, lowering their cost of production, and then maximize their the branding and, the, the, in turn, the sales price uh, of the cannabis and, and hold on till we have the next wave in the space. I think we're all in agreement that uh, the autonomous with the AI base, with the sensors completely is hopefully sooner rather than later, but you're right. There are a multitude yeah. of factors kind of limiting that, but I want to stay kind of with the early kind of conversations with the MSOs or internal customers that are asking you, Hey, Brad, you know, we're looking to monitor X or Y. Is it a collaborative environment or is it your team kind of presenting them and saying, Hey, would this be helpful for you? We've got a sensor or is it kind of the reverse? The customer's like, we've got a pain point, Brad, can your team come in and help us find a technology solution to help alleviate this problem? It's more proactively our team approaching the client with solutions to their problems. So clients making the best efforts to solve the issue, typically putting people or employees on it to observe and, and tracking the data themselves and, and then looking at that data. But really, from what we've seen, it's finding out after the fact. So they've had an outbreak, they've had an issue. So then they're doing an autopsy on that situation and 
trying to figure out what went wrong, what can we not do next time? So from a technology standpoint, it is putting measures in place that allow them to proactively stay ahead of it. And it's not just with sensors, these sensors that we had where you place them every 100 square feet. You know, as I, as I alluded to, the environmental control systems are very strong today. And it's also just putting process procedures in place for those employees to consistently check um, specific areas or pain points. How do you balance that kind of proactive approach with your company's vision? You know what I mean? If you're like, hey, our 12-month plan is to kind of develop more HVAC controls for all of these applications, but this big client of ours wants, this is a huge pain point. Like, is there internal like conversations where you guys have to decide where to allocate those resources? Like, how does that decision get made internally within your guys' organization? Yeah, we do. You know, our when we look out front, we want to be the leading design build partner. You know, from end to end, when we're laying out the concept of that facility all the way through to when we post operation, we have our team in with our grow care program and our horticulturists are working with our clients to there's higher turnover in this space. So continually training on the system. So these systems are used to their maximum potential and they're as efficient as they can to maintaining the equipment systems to pro- prohibit downtime in the future. So really it's the vision three, four years ago with the sensors was much more grandiose. And now it's really into an area where it can be contained for the least amount of, of dollars to execute it. But we have that team of horticulturists, right? Those horticulturists and, and our head architects, head engineers, those are the ones that really work closely with the cultivators and, and growing partners because they've seen now we've worked in on in one way or another over a thousand, twelve hundred projects uh, altogether. And so we've seen a lot, right? So that brain power that we have, that knowledge, our clients like to tap into that, ask a lot of questions. So consulting is a piece with the with the horticulturist that's growing within the organization, but it all comes back to the setup. If you proactively set up a facility thinking ahead of what you want the end facility to be like, and you work with a design build partner like Urban Grow, we maintain that we can get our clients to market about a harvest early because we have that single point of responsibility. So along the way, we're making decisions that fit the overall goal of the the facility. And that's driving costs down and operating as efficiently as possible with minimal outbreaks. Is that a catch-22 specifically in the cannabis industry? Because exactly like you're saying, with all the capital restraints, making good decisions up front saves the problems later on when a customer who says, Brad, that's a good idea, but it's too expensive right now. And then in six, eight months, calls you up and go, hey, we made a mistake, kind of got caught down a wrong road. Can you help us come back? Is this is it kind of like an internal challenge of an early market like cannabis where they're not unable to recognize that down the road, these tools are going to be critical separators to allow them to kind of get off the ground early and to be successful? You're 100% right. Like budget constraints, make they drive a lot of decisions. So usually when it comes to the, the early stages and then we're coming into the equipment side of it, we're giving a, a good, better, best for each of the solutions within a facility. One area that typically is, is underspecified is mechanical. And if you underspecify during the mechanical stage, then you start growing and then all of a sudden the mechanical is not strong enough. That's going to respond. That's going to result in in a lot of issues within the facility. So you know, where in the past we would build according to what the client would like to see. Now we're more, we have a larger voice and we speak up. You know, hey, look, I don't think you should cut back in this area. Maybe we should look at downgrading a different equipment system to a lower level because this is the the basis of of successfully growing in your facility. And so I think that definitely has helped. But it, it is tough, right? When you look at the, there's a lot of manufacturers in, in horticulture overall, let alone those that are focused on cannabis, that are having significant issues right now. And that is because the clients, whether single state or multi-state operators, are not putting the CapEx out. And so in the past, yeah, you could optimize. You could We could walk a facility. We could put a recommendation together of what they should do to optimize that facility. But uh, today, the funds aren't there. And so you talk about it a lot. There's some big moves that have to have to be taken from a 
50,000 50, foot level, right? Rescheduling, getting rid of 280E that will turn the tables and bring money and capital flowing back into, into the industry. Yeah. That's, that's the key to the future. Who knows when that's going to happen, right? We all we had a crystal ball. We'd all be wealthy. Yeah, that, that unfortunately hasn't happened yet. But in the early days, there were like from 2016 to 2021, there was a decent amount of cash flow that came in in the industry. And, yeah. and cannabis is probably the highest value cash crop, if you will, in terms of a gram of its weight. So there was some money that allowed Urban Grow to kind of develop a lot of this environmental control. So is there any like one specific kind of piece of technology that you guys developed during those early days that has been um, able to kind of be applied to other horticultural industries that maybe you wouldn't have had the same resources to develop and now you is, does that make sense yeah tech no know-how yes in terms of you know our ip is our people and mm -hmm. it's their knowledge base and we've been able to successfully build some really phenomenal databases that help make specific design decisions based upon a variety of inputs or conditions so the know-how for sure from a tech standpoint, your technology changes so fast. And, um, you know, sensors, there's, there's sensors in the marketplace. Any company that was just focused on sensors only, there's a lot that have, uh, have fallen off uh, by the wayside. And, and those that remain when they're just focused on sensors, you know, they're, they're burning through a lot of cash. They're downsizing because it's harder to access cash. So I think the next wave when some of those larger decisions are made, like, you know, abolishing the 280E and allowing money to flow back in. I think that's when you'll see some more, some new startups. You know, you look back three years ago, how many startups there were in the space. It was, it was phenomenal, right? And, and competition drives innovation. And that will happen again, just, just not uh, in, in the near future, I feel. And it'll be companies, right, that are strong in the space that will be able to help fund some of those startups and uh, and be on that cutting edge there's a lot less competition now today and i feel everybody's cheering for each other because we all want joint success there's there's not as much secrecy that's for sure so let's dive a little deeper because i can imagine we've got some operators that are listening here and saying okay i'm, I'm intrigued by sensors I'm, i've had many pain points many losses but not never really sure where to start how does it work? Does a member of Urban's Grow team come out? We walk the facility, we provide various hardware, and then take us through kind of like the sales strategy. Is it is it upfront hardware costs or is it like a variety of different SaaS models just so that they can get a general understanding of what it would look like to kind of smartify their, their facility and just increase the ability to track information internally? So the horticulturists and then the lead architects and engineers, the ones that have you know been involved with the combined 1,000, 1,200 projects, you know, those are the key, right? Those are the individuals that our operators want to speak with, not our senior uh, executive team. They want to speak with the ladies and gentlemen that have accrued this knowledge over so many years. And it's not just cannabis. A lot of these horticulturists have been growing a variety of crops for decades. So it's tapping in. So it's bringing them out to their existing facility, walking the facility, sharing some of the issues they're encountering, and then getting feedback from from our group of whether it is some capex they could put in from an optimization standpoint in order to uh, to fix the problem that they're having on our clients with new facilities or expanding facilities to to different states or different markets is bringing us out before they put the architecture engineering and construction plans together it's something that we would do with them it's looking at how people plants and processes work together within a facility. So we're building that or laying or designing that facility, then eventually hopefully building that facility according to the, the flow that we set out uh, at the start. It's looking at what in a city or a county, what are the requirements in terms of wastewater and how you treat that wastewater ahead of time. So during that design stage, you know, the goal is then to move into a build stage when licenses are awarded and there's a funding. During the build stage, we're also working on the equipment setup, and that's where technology really comes in. We will have discussed it early on in a new facility during that, that introductory session of what's out there. We're always looking at new technology. We have a, an office in Europe and the Netherlands, so those engineers are also looking at what's the... We, we should know the newest technologies in the marketplace. 
for our clients. I want our clients to rely on us to to know that we have that knowledge of what's the latest and greatest out there. And then it's putting you know, that, that equipment plan based upon the budget together. Sometimes that will involve a lot of sensors. Oftentimes, if we can control the temperature and if we can control the environment and control the environment ag, a lot of the other issues will never show up in the first place. So if we can properly control that environment, ideally, they can use biologicals in that facility to manage their pest program. And, and it will be great on the on the onset or on the outset when they start up the plant. But in terms of placing sensors throughout the facility, investing in that hardware up front in terms of a fix, that that vision that we had three years ago didn't play out. The market wasn't ready in all of CEA for that. I think that's where you're going to see more evolution in the uh, in the years and the decade ahead. Yeah, I think that's really well said because looking at the outside industries, they use all this technology as a as a mainstay internally, like oil and gas, food and bev, yeah. pharmaceutical. They expect that technology to be there because it allows them to make better decisions and to kind of sleep better at night knowing that there's an eye in the sky at all times evaluating this. And unfortunately, in cannabis, it seems like a lot of times people have to face the fact of a batch loss to recognize that a one-time upfront cost for X or Y would have saved tremendously down the road and they wouldn't have to have these kind of failures. So what do you think is the best way to convince someone who's on the fence? Do you think it's an ROI kind of return on investments and knowing that if you spend this money X, you can prevent Y? Do you think that's the cleanest way of getting someone in the cannabis industry who's more of a touchy-feely to recognize that the protection could be a massive saver for them down the road? Yeah, Brian, you're absolutely right with your with your comment there. But look at those other industries, right? Those are industries that are generating a lot of cash and profits right now. So companies are able, too. yeah, they're able to reinvest and and work on the uh, on the future for sure. Right now, in our industry, it's tight uh, out there. So there's the fund. The funds aren't there to put back into uh, into R and D. You know, if if I could speak to operators now before. They're building that that next facility or with a retrofit. It doesn't hurt to reach out to an urban grow, a consultative group. In our case, a single point of responsibility where we do everything, and and listen and talk and and hear what they have to say. And you'll know pretty quickly, right? The the substance you want to pick a partner that's going to be around because when there is problems in the future, you want to rely on on that partner or that manufacturer from a warranty standpoint. So, you know, the company, you got to look at that, the strength of that company for sure. But it doesn't hurt to listen, see what they have to say, because I believe that when operators talk to our lead engineer, architects, and horticulturists, they'll realize that wealth of knowledge that they can tap into. And we're, our goal is to make the, the, the COO or the cultivator, the, the head grower, look really good proactively. Because if the, if the facility is operating, efficiently with little or small outbreaks, they look great. They're doing their job, right? So there's there's a lot of knowledge to tap into and not one person knows it all. So after you guys set up this facility, is it kind of like you wipe your hands clean? Like how does your ongoing relationship work with with these clients in terms of, because you're saying there are always new sensors, there's new technology, you guys are kind of in the know-how. How do you kind of stick with them through the rest of kind of the plant operating? Well, Callan, that's another great question, right? And we want to stay sticky with the client because we don't want to be one or done. You know, I look at some of the other ancillary companies in the space like Hydro Farm or Grow Generation. They've got great recurring revenue on the back end, whether it's with their nutrient programs or, you know, in a perfect world, it's real-time delivery every week with everything the operator needs, the hundreds or thousands of SKUs being delivered. So I, I love those programs that they have. We're not set up for that, right? We are a professional services design build firm. So what we do is utilize, I'd mentioned earlier about the consulting is taking a larger role within our company. Our grow care program has individuals working maybe a day a month or, or a little bit more. They're going out on site. They've been there along during the build or during a optimization stage. So they built relationships with the operators and they're walking through just making sure, hey, look, are you utilizing the, the systems that you've put into this facility 
to their most highest and best use. So they're still operating efficiently. So if we sign a one-year contract on the back end, it's just to be sort of that big brother watching in terms of helping them avoid making mistakes. The technology from the past where we would place sensors all over, that's expensive. And so not a lot of clients today are willing to make that investment up front. They're relying on the environmental control systems in order to uh, to put out some some warning signs to them. But you know, from a consulting standpoint, we stay in touch, we stay front of mind, and then when it's time to optimize another facility or build another one, we're there for them. So it's it's just being there, front of mind. We invested in ag tech in the past. It didn't work out because we were there too early. We've been able to reuse some of that investment in the portal that I had mentioned earlier that elevates our service levels for the client. But I, I've maintained for years that an acquisition of a technology company, nothing in the near future for us right now. We're laser focused on getting back to generating cash flow and, and growing in all of these segments. But when a technology company has the right technology, I think that would be a smart addition to uh, to Urban Grow's offering in the future. Especially given the deep relationships and the kind of the pristine focus on efficiencies, because that technology can pay for itself sometimes as quickly as one month, because with these large scale facilities, all they need to do is just narrow down and understand some of those data points and then make incremental improvements over time. And efficiently, that'll pay for itself pretty, pretty. You're right. If we're the trusted professional services, consulting, design, build partner, right? For our clients, if if they trust us to always have knowledge on what's what's latest and greatest. we will have that relationship. And when we say, hey, we'd like to show you something that we think will be very, very beneficial for you in the future and will help you in this way and that way, they're going to absolutely say, come on in. If you're a technology company that's just selling one solution, it's a little bit harder, right? Our sales or business development team, we don't even call them sales team, they're out there and we have a variety of, variety of solutions that we're selling. So it's a lot easier. We get to spread those costs over all of these solutions versus a, a one product company, it's a lot more difficult. So, you know, on that front, we used to sell lights, value-added reseller. Today, we're partners with probably a few dozen manufacturers, and we want to always present at least top three, sometimes top, top five to our clients. And as long as we don't get greedy, if we just do a cost plus markup, so we don't get greedy and then our clients feel that they have to go out and price check us against others and utilize their valuable time to do that. If we don't stay greedy, if we don't get greedy and and we use a cost plus model, I think that's also a lot of trust too. And it allows us to work the systems in much, much earlier. Uh, it's why in our press releases, we don't list customer names or client names anymore, actually, because then uh, they were being over inundated by by dozens of different uh, groups. The one area that I think separates is the trust, exactly like you described, is that you're you're building that trust and relationship and you're you're pulling on skill sets like I'm an ad tech, exactly like you said. And I want you to kind of lean in that direction, come out of diversification standpoint. I know about a year ago, that was a crucial decision that your team made. And I kind of want to talk through the origin of why that was crucial and kind of what was the first step? Was it conversation internally with the board saying, hey, cannabis is exploding, yet we're having all these holdups in certain states, New York, ah, cough, cough. And then what were the steps internally in order to kind of get started and move in that direction? I'd like to add one thing to to our last point I just thought of. We have to do what we say and stand behind our solutions. That's been key. And uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, in our public filings, we had a $3 million biz dev expense. And that biz dev expense was tied to our client, uh, one of our clients, large client, state operator that had some issues with a lighting solution that came through us. And we stood up and we took uh, accountability for it because it was a, a manufacturer that was not accessible and we fixed the problem. So I think earning trust in a bad situation and, and stepping up to do the right thing, that's key. Absolutely key. So it, it builds long-term relationships. So I, to your current question now, so about a year and a half ago, the industry started to uh, to weaken. Uh, we, like many others, started to see that a quarter or two before. And as optimists said, oh, it's going to be fine. It's coming back. Uh, don't act on it. Uh, but But it became pretty clear about five quarters ago that 
that it was going to be decreasing for a sustained period of time. What would bring it out of decre- a decreasing market? Rescheduling, you know, abolishing the 280E, maybe federal legalization. There's a lot of expectations after after that last election, of course. But it didn't come back. So what we did, we focused on diversification. When we made these acquisitions, these these firms, about two thirds of their business was outside of cannabis, and so we had enough knowledge to train their other architects and engineers on the controlled environment egg space. It's also exciting for an architect to you know you're designing a operation or a, a box, right? So also to design a hotel or or a hospital. You know, there's a lot of past relationships and clients that these these firms had. So we looked at their key contracts and we said, look, we we can do what we do in these other segments as well, the professional services consulting firm. And so we focused on it. And you know, none of this happens overnight, right? You build relationships, you've got to build the the trust uh, from that client in the company that we're not just a cannabis company, but we're a design build firm. So it took a while. So about $12 million of losses in just maintaining and keeping most all of our team intact, building out new contracts with existing clients. So $12 million in five quarters. And we're now at a point where we're not reliant to be profitable on the cannabis space. Uh, we're very loyal to the cannabis space and we want to be strong when the industry turns. And so hence, now about two-thirds plus of our business is outside of cannabis. We design, build manufacturing facilities, um, aircraft hangars. We work with a large hotel group on engineering in each of their properties. Uh, We build cold storage facilities, building small manufacturing operations within a distribution center for a global CPG company, and even a golf resort, actually. Uh, not the actual golf course, but like the outer buildings. And so what that's done is it's allowed us to keep our team strong. And when the cannabis market does open up, which, which I'll explain is a little bit different than just waiting for rescheduling for Urban Grow, we will be strong and we will be ready to to tackle what the industry needs uh, with a very, very quick turn. Is there one of those uh, industries that you favor as far as the diversification that your team enjoys working in more than than another one of them, but you'd think the golf course, right? But so far there hasn't been any uh, or the any, the air, any free the rounds. Airplane hangar <laughs> sounds cool. Yeah, though yeah, <laughs> so that that is cool, right? The engineering firm we acquired is based in Houston, so laboratories is a growing, exciting area. Whether it's oil and gas laboratories, but it's also taking that knowledge into tissue culture uh, laboratories. Sense, totally, yeah, yeah, that we would hope to close in the near future in the CEA space. There's a lot of synergies for sure uh, between, but I think, you know, one example that I love to use is when we acquired the construction firm, they were doing a couple contracts a year, smaller contracts with a light industrial firm. So it's a consumer package, good beverage company operate globally. And when we made that acquisition, we were a little bit worried. Maybe they would look and see that urban grow is in the cannabis space. As we all know, you know, we still can't bank with a mainstream bank and we don't touch the plant. And so we were concerned about that, but it, was, it wasn't it was why we made that acquisition. Well, sure enough, they loved the fact that our balance sheet was strong on the NASDAQ, um, no bank debt. So it's what it's turned into is not only now, probably have about five projects in function and operation with this group, with this client, but within their large corporation, we're moving to different divisions. And our average project size is probably seven to 14 million and growing. And at the start, it was just construction. Today on the projects, it's construction, architecture, engineering. And we just uh, were able to successfully integrate equipment, mechanical systems that we're utilizing in, uh, in the cannabis space because of the purchasing power that we've set up with a national relationship, we've been able to integrate equipment into one of these uh, facilities as well. So it's just, it's cross-pollinating and getting in the door with one solution, earning trust and confidence in, in Urban Grow solutions 
and and then integrating more into that side. So again, we're not looking for new acquisitions at all right now. We're just focused on getting back to generating cash, but future acquisitions could include additional services firms, but for contracts that they have could be to get into a specific new sector that we're not in right now, uh, or it could be on the energy services side. The goal would be if they have good relationships, that's awesome because we can then you know, earn our way in with other solutions into those same relationships. So there's, there's a lot of areas of opportunity for us as, uh, as we wait for the cannabis segment to, to turn. Yeah, I, w- I want to highlight that because I, I don't think people recognize how challenging that is, but how important that is from a fundamental business standpoint is you were able to expand the total addressable market that Urban Grow operates in. You were able to add expertise internally for ac- access to outside industries, but also eventually when cannabis figures it out, you have those resources internally to kind of move forward. And then you diversified the business so that if cannabis continues to operate in this land of uncertainty, unknown, and challenges, you have kind of a fortified internal operations where you're not solely dependent on cannabis for your business, which could be swept up in the industry like a lot of of the other people we've seen out there. So was there a certain company internally that you kind of internalized when you decided to diversify? Was there someone you looked to outside the industry and say, hey, Google does this or Amazon does this. Eventually, I think we could get to this spot. So internally, there was a lot of um, relationships. That first acquisition we made, we were introduced from, at the time, our EVP of ops, right? So we build, bring one acquisition and they have working relationships with another. So we ended up uh, acquiring that group. The three acquisitions we, we handled were um, outside law firms and internal legal, our, our GC and uh, his team. But we were able to bring those all in based upon existing relationships. But looking bigger picture. Right. When these are big names I'll bring out. AECOM, Bowman, Stantec. These are professional services consulting firms that are 400 million to 15 billion in revenues each year. Some of them work on infrastructure, like in Eastern Europe or, or in the Middle East. We found a niche at 25 to 50 million where that design, build, turnkey solution where everything is in one company under one roof, nothing outsourced, a single point of responsibility, there was a demand for it. Uh, The golf course I told you about, they would have had to hire their own site supers, project managers, uh, in-house team to go find an architect firm and then an engineering firm. And that one actually started where we just bid on the architecture and they realized, wow, we can do all this with you. And it turned into a $11 million design build deal with them. So it's demonstrating the competence of the solutions that we offer and then doing what we say. That's key. And uh, we built the project management office in-house. That group keeps everyone on, on task and on, uh, on agenda. So we don't, uh, so we hit our deliverables when we're supposed to hit them. Keeps everyone aligned internally. That's all. That sounds great. And it's awesome. I'm just curious how that initial conversation went with the board when you're like, Hey, I know we went public for cannabis. I know that's what we do, but like, check this out, right? Like, were they really receptive? Like, kind of talk us through that that first kind of like you broke the ice and then you guys went from there. So it was an evolution for sure, right? Three of our board members come from the cannabis space originally. The former COO of Kronos up in Canada, a strong Colorado extraction, dispensary, and cultivation owner who's uh, who's still around and strengthening in this industry. Of course, it's a tough, it's a tough market in Colorado, but he has invested in his facilities and the efficiencies, right? He's put money back in to help separate himself. So, you know, it was, it was an evolution. And uh, I look at my board as mentors to me, right? They're providing advice. They're never going to, they've never had to force a platform one way or another. We've been very unified uh, as, as a team going forward. So, there's two options. A lot of people started laying off people a year and a half ago in the industry. And so there's that path and you hunker down and wait, or there's this other path where you utilize the services that we offer to markets in which they've operated already. So it was, it was a nice eye-opening of, wow, like there, there's, it's not a heavy lift. It's just building the customer relationships and, and convincing these other divisions or sectors that that uh, we're a good partner. And so we set down uh, that path 
We have quarterly board meetings, but we usually touch base every couple of weeks. So I'm getting guidance along the way with with ideas. Uh, it was $12 million of losses was was a painful path. It had to work. And fortunately, it did. And now we're just like we've, we've guided on $30 million in Q4 in revenues and uh, to generate cash for the first time. That will be such a celebration, right? To to have a plan, to lay it out, to take a risk, to pivot. And as an entrepreneur, I've pivoted a lot over the last 15 years and, and five businesses. If it doesn't feel right, if it's not working, you can't shove it. Just change direction a little bit and alter it. And uh, and so it'll be a great celebration because we pulled it off. It would have been terrible if it didn't work. And it would have been terrible <laughs> if we just had to wait. But uh, we've got a great supportive board for sure. And one of the exciting parts is that with the backlog, hopefully about to be unlocked, that allows you to yeah. team to accelerate even further with this whole new set of internal skill sets. So maybe the newest challenge now will be adding new team members as your team is diversified and having to grow in, in both these different verticals at the same time. Yeah, no, I, this is pretty cool. So in the cannabis sector for Urban Grow, we're not just waiting uh, for for rescheduling or 280E to be abolished, right? That's the ultimate goal. And that's people talk about it all the time. When you look at uh, what's not talked about a lot, the biggest problem that we face is there's now it's down to seven. There's about seven key states of which you alluded to New York earlier, or maybe even Florida, adding more. But there's seven states that have legalized cannabis and then it's just froze. Regulatory, legal delays has stopped them from awarding licenses. Alabama, right? They just awarded for the third time. So those, you know, we have we have a lot of clients, like more than 20, where they've paid or we're in design right now, architecture and engineering. But until they get awarded a license, their funding sources will not release funds to them. So for us, it's as simple as New Jersey's opening now, New York's supposed to be in Q1, Florida adding more licenses the first half of next year. For us, it's simply our clients being awarded licenses. They will move to the build stage with us, which then leads to equipment about six six months after they start. So for us, that'd be an early indicator. Watch our releases. If we're if we're signing, we had two of them back in early Q4 that had waited a year, right? And then it just freed up and they moved forward uh, quickly. These two smaller ones, both were retrofit. So I think that that's really important for us in terms of our momentum early on in the space, but we talk about being efficient and focusing on get back, getting back to generating cash, but we also will make good strategic moves and adding to the teams one that you just uh, that you just alluded to, Brian. MSO used to do all of their design build in-house, a team of, of 10 individuals. And when they stopped spending that CapEx, they had to part ways with most of the members of that team because there was nothing to build. And so uh, one of the, the CEOs recommended, I talked to one of the individuals that they let go. He oversaw the build out of close to three dozen cultivation facilities, dispensaries, and um, extraction facilities. We added him as our SVP of operations. Think about that experience he has. So even though we're waiting for cannabis to come back and cannabis for us is just releasing the licenses, it's the nearest term win. We now have an individual that brings so much expertise and know-how to our offering. And again, to build confidence and trust in Urban Grow in the eyes of that operator. So we'll still, we'll still bring on the right teammates that, uh, that help us increase that offering. Is that frustrating internally, knowing that your team is taking all the right steps, you're succeeding, you're landing all the contracts, but all these regulatory challenges and all these other call them nonsense hurdles from a cannabis standpoint are kind of holding up the kind of explosion of urban growth? It, it sure is. And it's more than frustrating, right? Like we trade on the NASDAQ, publicly traded entity. Our market cap has decreased 95%. And we're forecasting a $30 million quarter and generating cash again, and our market cap is $14 million. You know, that's the frustrating part, right? Because when, when I'm driving this ship, I need to show the market that my team knows how to run a company that makes money. So it's balancing the investment spending into being so much greater in the future with executing today and, and generating cash flow. So that's definitely been the, the most challenging piece of this. 
is my life is judged on 30, sorry, 90 day increments, right? Three month, three month quarters. And, uh, and, and then you're reporting out to the public market. So I think people in the industry understand the challenges and they would respect it just takes time. But investors put money in entities, public entities, to make a return on their investment. And, um, you, you know, I do take it personal when I can't give and provide a stronger return. When we listed on the NASDAQ, it was $10 a share, $100 million market cap. Today, as I mentioned, where we're at. So I internalize that. I feel bad that people trusted me, my leadership, my team. And and now that, that return hasn't been there. So it's what motivates me to come to work every day and, and work my tail off and show the, the public markets, just like we're showing our clients, that um, we are the perfect partner for, for their money, for their investment, for the long run. So with that, yeah, note, hope- you, UGRO on the NASDAQ. <laughs> Yeah. And so hopefully uh, this uh, little message right here gets it out to some more retail investors and and other individuals that now are aware that Urban Grow isn't just cannabis focused in terms of where your guys' revenue is is being generated from. Because I think that's probably one of the most frustrating aspects of it, because you, you put together a PR, right? Your board knows, you talk to a lot of your main investors, but like, a lot of retail investors, which is what's driving the cannabis space right now, are probably unaware that you've made all of these significant moves, right? And it's just, you know, out of your control, unfortunately. So hopefully 100%. we can get the message out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, and that's why I'm here, right? To, to share that story uh, with uh, with the investing world, for sure. And also, more importantly, it all starts with our clients, though, because without clients and without business, you're not growing and you're not attracting investors. So it uh, starts with the clients uh, and second message to the investors. Amen. What question do you wish more retail investors asked you? That's a a great question. I would say the biggest issue we have right now is we are still, because we listed, you know, 90 plus percent of our business when we listed on the NASDAQ was tied to the cannabis industry. And so it's just getting the message out about how diversified we are and how that diversification will ultimately hap- will ultimately provide a huge upside when the cannabis industry begins to to recover so it's just asking the questions of what do you do apart from cannabis and how does that help your overall your overall mission when you look at 2023 the first 9 months of the year versus 2022 our equipment revenues were down by 20 million in 23. And that's $20 million at 18% margin at the time. That's a big hit, right? And so we're set up now to deliver, I think our largest quarter ever for equipment was 15 million. And now it's millions, right? Because there's not a lot of CapEx expenditure right now. But uh, we're set up to deliver not only 30, but 40, 50, plus million dollar quarters without needing to hire any more uh, senior management team or uh, equipment. Like we've got all the process and procedures in place. It's uh, it's just getting money into our client's hands. And best way to do that is, is 280E, of course, and abolishing that through rescheduling, hopefully in the very near future. And from a from a macro perspective, I mean, like over the next 50 years, the human race is going to need to do a lot more urban growing, especially if we go to like Mars or other places. So like, I know, but like a lot of the skill sets and like environmental controls and a lot of this stuff is is the infrastructure that's going to be needed for providing food for, you know what I mean? Like there is exactly a, a massive, mean. massive market opportunity here. It's tremendous. And that's just starting, right? And exactly so the very beginning. 100%. Yeah, very, very beginning, right? And so when you look at urban vertical farms, so not the large multi-hectare vertical farms that are are being built right now, but urban vertical farms, whether it be in remote locations like Alaska or Mars, but we'll say Alaska, <laughs> um, or near like food service distribution centers or within those distribution centers. When we opened our European office, we had a contract to design build $25 million urban vertical farm. So one of them was uh, going to be in uh, Ibiza, 
near a bunch of hotels and, and restaurants. And it was a couple of months, we'll say, after we opened that office that the war in Eastern Europe, unfortunately, broke out. Contract went nowhere. Not only that, horticulture, due to rising energy prices in Europe, really came um, you know, crashing down as well at the same time. So, you know, but there is an increased focus on that right now. I would say the largest focus on that side of our business is the indoor vertical farming of berries, mainly strawberries. It's a highly contested uh, pesticide usage in fields with strawberries is going to drive strawberries indoor probably is the first uh, to come inside. And there's people, there's companies that are effectively doing just that right now with about 18 foot ceilings, 12 different layers. So, you know, we're working with some clients to how do we expand that vision from one facility with an offtake agreement with a large retail train to many facilities within the U.S. market where we can be that partner that design builds them uh, near distribution centers across the country. So there's lots to come there, but that industry also, that sector also is having funding issues. It's hard to access capital uh, over in that side. You know, I think from a macro or even let's just say public markets, there's the magnificent seven. If people are putting their money in these big technology stocks and they're doubling their money, they're not taking the risks on the smaller, small caps, right? Or micro yeah. caps at that. Yeah, totally. And so I, I believe that as that um, as that wave begins to settle down, I believe that people will take some of those profits. And then, you know, the the small cap public market space, those higher risk stocks that provide much higher multiple returns, I think people begin to to look at that again, but they've been very suppressed for the last couple of years. For sure. And that's where you get a lot of the smaller emerging technology stocks or or companies, sorry, and those that are trying to trying to really make a difference in a in a new space. But food indoors with the growing population, it's it's essential for the long-term viability. And we're just starting. I think the one area that Kellen wanted to say is, is that Elon should call you, Brad. Yeah. That's kind of what <laughs> Kellen was leaning into. So when we set up Mars, one-stop shop. I was shop. just trying to get you a contract. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, here, I'm here to help, Brad. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me in an interview, if you could meet one person, who would it be spend an hour with? Definitely Elon Musk, right? Like yeah. as an entrepreneur, my God, the guy yeah, is right. so wired and um, you he'd pitch, him, pitch him on the contract for Mars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I'll yeah. build. <laughs> it doesn't hurt, right? Just need to meet him the first time, and, and that's, a, that's how it works, though. Right, <laughs> literally how it works. It's, we'll all tag him. it's all network. <laughs> so, Brad, when you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right, and most importantly, what did you get wrong? I got right the people. Uh, I've got an incredible team, and that brings you know that's that value that that initial value that clients look for. So we got the right team. We got the right partners. That led, as I had mentioned, to making some acquisitions in, in other companies as well. That's definitely what we got right. What we got wrong, oh, geez. Well, investing in technology four or five years ago, that was wrong. It was the right idea, but just at the wrong time. And uh, that was in the wild, wild west days of the space where just spend money. It'll be available if you need it. So when we were done spending the money, the money wasn't available if we we needed it. So working capital has been uh, has been tough all along. But you know what? The one thing I got wrong early is you should never make assumptions that money will be there. And when we you just running a profitable business is absolutely key. And uh, for a while, it's not just me, but there's a lot of leaders that were investment spending heavily in the future. And um, if I could do it all again the last two years, I would have really been more focused and not investment spending so much into the long run. And um, I wish that I had about two quarters earlier than, than we did start to start to diversify, wish we'd taken those steps a couple quarters early. No, but but that's it. You also live and learn and it's nothing that we missed. It's uh, the entire industry missed it. Who would have ever thought? Three years ago, we were at the two two years, three quarters ago, we were at the all-time high for the cannabis uh, sector. Now we're coming off the all-time lows. Wow. Live and learn. Coming up on 10 years of Colorado legal cannabis too. Yeah. 10 years. New York too. And New York too. 
I remember six years ago, people were like, 2024, yeah, right, it'll be legal by then. And now it's like 2030. Look how much <laughs> since that, look how look how mature the industry has become, right? Right. These these multi-state operators and the the leaders of these companies, right? They're so professional. So um, it was it's it's what was needed though. Yeah, that's right. Really? These are mainstream leaders that have really professionalized uh an industry. And I think that is a key point. You know, the, the operators and the MSOs, they're, they're the cool ones, right? They're, they're, growing, yeah. they're running the operations. We're ancillary. Uh, it's smart, but the, the cool leaders are the ones running the operations. And um, all of that outside expertise from many different sectors that they're building in, I think that credibility they're bringing for the overall cannabis industry is essential to long-term investment from institutional funds and institutional uh, groups into the space. Once those institutions can invest into those entities when when the operators can be on the big boards like the uh, New York and the NASDAQ, right? That opens the doors for a lot of investment. I think then you're going to see tremendous growth within our space. Perfectly said. All right, let's do a quick prediction. Brad, looking ahead two to five years, where do you predict technology and data analytics will deliver the most significant value in the cannabis industry? I believe it will be... Um, where we were focused four years ago. It's gonna be sensors that are recording data and the data will be utilized both by machines or AI or individuals in order to make decisions to grow at the most efficient levels possible and get the highest yielding uh, cannabis in the space for sure. Kellen. I mean, I'm gonna agree with Brad, but I'll just kind of extend it a little more. I think that you'll, in five years, there'll be companies out there that have capabilities of kind of tracking every carbon molecule, right? So carbon as it's utilized from nutrients through the entire extraction process in terms of like monitoring every THC molecule as it's converted metabolically speaking all the way into their extraction process in line. I think you're going to see a full buttoned up system that has the capability of everything Brad said, but also doing that on a molecular level is, is my my guess. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, you you both kind of nailed it right there. I think any industry that is guessing on the most important molecule, whether it's in cultivation or extraction, is kind of leaving money on the table. And I think in an industry as starved for capital, then we should be kind of digging into efficiencies and measuring everything we can. And I think understanding that these technologies can potentially pay for themselves sooner rather than later is the right type of investment necessary, especially given the high turnover and all these other challenges of these unknowns and batch losses. And I think, as we all talked about today, the plan is very variable. So understanding on a molecular level, exactly like you said, Kellen, would make a massive difference going forward. And I'll add one more to that. Now, this is for controlled environment ag overall for horticulture. I think genetics will come into play Huge. In, in a big way. You know, one of our board members, she was the CEO of uh, Sensi Ag with Larry Ellison and before that, Crop One. And then she was uh, recently the CEO of Unfold, a genetics company. And there's used why I, I would, would um, you know, bend her ear a lot at, at board meetings. But whether it's genetics, so tomatoes don't grow high, they grow horizontal with uh with with uh, as little waste as possible more vegetable more fruit right less less green it's going to play a key role and yeah. uh, i think there's a lot of knowledge to come out of there but it takes a long time i didn't realize that either you know r d for that is not overnight it's it's no. years yeah so brad for our listeners they want to get in touch they want to buy urban growth stock where can they find you nasdaq uh, symbol u g r o uh, or you can reach out to investors at urban-gro.com. Thank you. We'll link it up on the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. We'll see you again. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.